podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to Footballers. We have a very special guest with us this week. We have the Medical Director of Addiction Medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine and author of Dopamine Nation, Dr. Anna Limke. Thank you for joining us this week. When I read your book, it spoke directly to me. I said, we have to get in touch with her. We have to pick her brain on what this company and this game is doing to us and so many other people. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, let me say I'm really excited to be here. I want to learn from you all, too. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm on the faculty here at Stanford University School of Medicine. I see patients. I teach. I do research. I'm an author of the book that you mentioned, Dopamine Nation, which is about addiction and what we can do about it and how we're all more vulnerable to the problem of addiction, including to drugs that didn't exist before, like video games. And I see a a growing number of mostly young men coming into my practice who really are, you know, squandering their lives away playing video games, and also importantly, getting anxious and depressed, and in some cases, even suicidal, as a result of spending too much time on video games. And I'm happy and excited to dive into the neuroscience of how that happens, but also really eager to hear from both of you about your experiences. Yeah. And we have Paul with us this week. Paul is a longtime FIFA Ultimate Team player. We're going to refer to that as foot. We kind of briefly discussed this before we started the show. So everybody's on the same page. But Paul, thanks for joining us this week. My pleasure. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. So what we're first going to get into is the idea that they push forward to their user base of opening packs and they tell you you can earn coins in the game by playing and trading and this and that. But it's just not practical if you want to get the ultimate team. And this is the mindset of so many people. And the shortcut to this is, is making in-game purchases via FIFA points, which you can then, you know, open tons of packs with. And with these packs becomes dopamine hits, as Mm -hmm. as you would like to refer to them as. And Mm -hmm. you would get these really high rated players that perform so well in the game that give you an upper hand on your opponent. Mm -hmm. And when you hit that first big player, it is an adrenaline rush. It is so exciting. People run outside, take their shirts off, scream at the top of their lungs because they're so excited. Mm. And the next time they do this, they don't get one. And it's like you said in your book, that balance is swung so hard in the other direction. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to take. Are you seeing the same type of activity in other people that are dealing with video games or is it something different? This is so fascinating. So what what you're getting at is essentially the ways in which video games have become a form of gambling. Yes. And and what's really puzzling to people who don't understand the nature of gambling addiction is why on earth you would get addicted to an activity that is guaranteed to not make you any money. In fact, it's guaranteed to lose you money. But the, the, the reason it happens, which is exactly why people get addicted to slot machines or any kind of casino gambling, is because what at the end of the day they're chasing has nothing to do with like the tangible reality of what's happening. It has to do entirely with this fantasy place in their minds that's 100% controlled by dopamine fluctuations and wanting to stay and maximize that experience that we feel when we get a dopamine hit and how good that feels and then wanting to chase that and recreate that, especially since 
as soon as we get a dopamine hit, what our brain does is compensates for that huge increase in dopamine, which is our pleasure and motivation neurotransmitter in our brains, by actually down-regulating production and transmission of our own endogenous dopamine. So we actually go then into this dopamine deficit state where we then have less dopamine to compensate for the huge increase in dopamine. And, and, and having less dopamine or being in a dopamine deficit state is actually akin to a clinical depression, right? So we actually then get depressed. And now we're in a psychological hole where we need then even more of the drug just to get psychologically even, not to mention, you know, get that high again. So in, in this case, it would just be spending that much more time on the game or that much more money on the game, chasing that addiction and that feed, right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, what's so amazing with, um, you know, gambling addiction, which is essentially, again, what's happening here is that when people really get into their addiction, you would think they want to win, right? And they tell themselves they want to win, but there's actually this phenomenon called loss chasing, where in fact, they want to lose, because losing gives them an excuse to stay longer in the game to make up their losses. Now, it's not necessarily happening, you know, within conscious awareness, but this is this is like kind of the psychology. It's about how long can I remain in this fantasy world so that I don't have to leave and go back to my real reality, which, by the way, now is a complete mess because I've spent the last week in the game, right? So I haven't done my laundry. I haven't taken out the garbage. I haven't bathed. I haven't exercised. All of it. Yeah. In this game as well, there's so many different ways to get that dopamine hit, whether it's in the menus from opening packs or playing the game and scoring goals and the frustration that comes with that, the dopamine up and down. and playing these games for rewards because you don't just get these packs from spending money. You can play the game for a week and at the end of each week you get these packs that have, you know, that you can buy for, for real money. Um, so you're playing all week. You want these packs. Everybody's right. driven for these mm -hmm. packs because mm -hmm. they want to get these mm -hmm. these rewards for that mm -hmm. for that fix, you know, and that varies on, on multiple levels. You know, there's uh, different degrees to that. I think the key thing that your listeners have to understand is that with all of those reinforcers, that the people who made the game, they knew exactly what they were doing. This is not an accident. These games were entirely engineered to tap right into our brain's motivation mm -hmm. and reward pathways and essentially hijack them by simulating something that happens in the real world, but is so much faster and so much better and so much more, you know, so much more reinforcing, you know, in the real world, that kind of drama would like, that would be like 10 years worth of drama in one minute, right? So it's just mm. this incredible flood of dopamine. And, and essentially, we do become slaves to the game, you know, we really lose the ability to objectively see the impact the game is having on our lives and also to extricate ourselves. And that that's pretty scary. Yeah. The fact that we have children running up their parents' credit cards, maxing out credit cards, trying to get these items, you know, you're, you're teaching children at a very young age, this very bad habit. And I for sure was addicted to this game on a much higher level than I still currently am. I mean, I'm not saying I'm cured of it whatsoever, but I have limits now. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm married mm -hmm. now. I have children. I've got responsibilities, mm -hmm. but 
there's plenty of people who are my age that aren't married, that don't have children, that just yeah. live on this game. And I feel like one day they're going to wake up and realize, what did I do for the last five, yeah. six years? Right, right. And the, the amount of regret that that's going to put on people. What are some of the signs that someone may be suffering from addiction mm-hmm. to this game and yeah. how can they recognize that? Great. So addiction is the continued compulsive use of a drug or a behavior like this game, despite harm to self and or others. And if we were going to boil the diagnostic criteria down into four things, it would be the four C's, which is control. So out of control use, playing more than I said I would, or than I planned to, or than I wanted to. Compulsive use, that means a whole lot of my mental real estate occupied with thinking about the game and initiating game playing, even when I had no intention to do so. So there's like a level of automaticity where I'm just kind of like in a dissociated state, find myself going to play. There's craving, which can be psychological, intrusive thoughts of wanting to use, feeling restless when I'm not able to use, even physical craving, like breaking out in a sweat or stomach cramping. And then finally, consequences, especially continued use despite consequences. And consequences can take many forms. It can be health consequences because we're playing all day and we're not exercising. We're not getting enough sleep because we're staying up all day and all night. It can be relationship consequences. The people that love us and care about us note that we're incredibly absent because we're playing all the time. Or even when we're not playing, we're just waiting until we can go play. So we're not fully present and available to them. Um, It can be, you know, school consequences, not performing in school. It can be um, professional consequences, playing at work when we should be working. And then there are really important and more subtle psychological consequences, which have to do with the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, which are Mm. anxiety, irritability, insomnia, depression. A lot of times people will feel like, well, I'm depressed and anxious and the game makes me feel better. But what people really don't realize is the game itself, by bombarding our brain's reward pathway with too much dopamine, which then our brains have to compensate for by down-regulating dopamine production and and production of other feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin, we actually go into this dopamine deficit state where we're chasing that feeling. And that's, as I said before, exactly like depression. So playing the game makes people depressed, but they don't see it. They feel like the game is the escape from their misery. It's just like exacerbating the problem that you have. That's right. That's right. You made a really good point. This game hasn't just happened by accident. Right. The guys in Vancouver who created this game have created it. They've looked into all this stuff. They they are masters at this stuff. They know what that's right. The perfect video game is, and you know you can have little breaks from it, but there's something to pop on your Twitter feed, and it you know you're just constantly bombarding you and. It's so easy to get sucked mm-hmm. back in if mm-hmm. you don't know uh, what's going on. And that's one of the reasons we've we really wanted you on today because I think there's so many people out there, probably myself included to some extent, that, you know, this game does affect your life. It does, yeah. you know, impact your relationship to, to, yeah. to whatever degree, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. your, your partner's saying, are you done on that game yet? Are we going to, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's a lot, a lot of people out there in this FIFA community who are in, in that stage and it doesn't have to be like that i've been involved in this game where 
it takes up every second of every day's thoughts right. and you know because you can get the app on your phone right. to do the um, in-game transaction in-game trading um, yeah. it's there yeah in your pocket yeah. all day yeah and that is a big issue and i think people need to you know have a think about that and, and try and put some limits in place at, at, at worst Oh yeah. No, I mean, a couple, a couple great points there that I want to speak to. First of all, the alerts and the reminders of the game themselves cause our brains to release a little bit of dopamine. So we get a little bit of a, like a, a hit just being reminded of our game. But here's something really important. We know from animal studies that when a rat is trained to know that if they see a light, they can go press a lever for cocaine what we see in the rat's brain is that not only do they get a huge surge of dopamine with the cocaine, but actually just seeing the light gives them a little surge of dopamine followed by a decrease in dopamine levels below tonic baseline. So we're always firing dopamine at our baseline levels. So just being reminded and seeing the light goes above baseline and then immediately below baseline, and that's craving. That's what then drives the animal to do the work. And the same thing happens with, you know, online content, including these games. You see somebody else playing or you get an alert about, you know, something you can win and you're, you like get a little, you know, a little hit followed by that dopamine deficit state, which is some often outside of our sense, you know, conscious awareness. But it's basically a, a state of craving that then motivates us and compels us to go and get that thing. And then, you know, to what you were saying earlier Let's say we lay out some money and we buy that pack, right? And we had the experience where we got one of these really great players, which gave us a huge surge of dopamine going out in the street dancing. But let's say we lay out the money and then we don't get the expected reward. This has also been well documented. If you're expecting a reward and you don't get it, dopamine levels go way below baseline. So now you're really craving, right? You're anxious, you're depressed, you're irritable, you're angry, you can't sleep, you're ruminating. And now you're gonna reach in and get even more money to buy another pack right away to make up for the pack that wasn't what you thought it yep. should be. Yeah. And and these packs, they slowly reveal the player to you. So sometimes you'll think you're getting that card. Oh, gosh. That you, you've oh, almost got it. You've got it. Oh, oh no. And so many oh, packs are like that. That's so you ruthless. Get, you get the color will flash up. You'll think, oh, that's amazing. It'll show you the player's flag. And you're like, oh, I've done it. And then it'll be some oh, random ass card that you're like, And they did oh. that on purpose. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. There's big like explosion and there's fireworks and there's magical right. colors and there's music and the player comes out and, he, and it's it's like this big theatrical thing and then it's over and you realize oh. you didn't get the card you wanted. Yeah, and it's not just the $25. Now you're in dopamine free fall, right? Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a feeling, right? It, and again, remember, our brains were wired over millions of years of evolution to approach pleasure and avoid pain. We do that reflexively. We don't have to think about it. It's what's kept us alive in a world of scarcity and ever-present danger, which is what the world has been for most of human existence. Now we live in a completely different world. Now we do not even have to get up off the couch to have limitless access to all kinds of reinforcing drugs and behaviors. And the result is that we're dealing with a fire hose of dopamine and our brain is reeling to try to compensate. And the result is that we're you know, constantly trying to chase this high and getting increasingly depressed and anxious as a result. 
which is why when I have patients come into my office who are struggling with a gaming problem, let's call it a gaming addiction, the first thing I have them do is to abstain from their drug of choice, from their game, from foot in this case, for long enough for those dopamine reward pathways to reset themselves, right? What I often talk about this metaphor of the balance and gremlins on the pain side of the balance, trying to compensate for all the pleasure right. on the pleasure side of the balance. And if we abstain for long enough, the first thing that happens is that balance smashes to the side of pain and our gremlins are, because they've now, they've, you know, right. they're now like living there. But if we wait long enough, they eventually hop off. Our body starts to make its own dopamine again and we kind of restore a level balance or homeostasis. And then we can enjoy other things again. And if we decide then that we want to go back to using that game, then we have to put in self-binding strategies. And these are, you know, a little bit what you alluded to. What are the limitations? How can I, you know, limit myself before I start playing? So not wait till I'm playing and then be like, oh, I can't stop, but actually set these boundaries in place before I start. And there are lots of different ways to do that. And I can share with you some of the things that my patients have discovered that work. Hmm. But um, I'd be curious to hear what you all have discovered. For me, it depends on my time. Like some weeks I can play a lot, some weeks I can't, you know. And for me, a lot of the time it's on my phone. My phone's in my hand. I'm trading these cards on my phone more than actually playing in the game because that's where I get my dopamine hits. Mm -hmm. I find a good deal. Mm -hmm. I make lots of coins from this and I get my dopamine hit from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a lot of traders in this game who people who are not spending money on the game but making this in-game currency, that's where they're getting their their mm-hmm. dopamine hit. And your head's in your phone, so sometimes you just have to go put that phone on charge upstairs, leave it away, or your girlfriend saying, are you on that phone again? Do you know what I mean? It, 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 <laughs> and it does, it impacts my day-to-day yeah. life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. quite, you know, embarrassing a little bit mm-hmm. because a 41-year-old man who's drawn in by this stupid game which I love and it's fun and I enjoy playing with my friends, but there has to be limits and I still struggle with those limits a little bit, but I do put those in place or, you know, it's turn the console off, walk away, put the phone down at the side of the bed and go downstairs and watch some TV. But it's, uh, you know. Okay, uh, great. So what you, the kind of self-binding that you're engaging in is what I call geographical or spatial self-binding. You're actually putting the device away from you. You're turning off the phone and you're putting it in a drawer in another part of your house, right? Or you're turning off your monitor. This is a very good strategy. None of these strategies are like foolproof. Like there's always, you can go back and turn it on again. (laughs) But you'd be amazed enough of these little strategies or these barriers in place can really be helpful to press the pause button between our desire to do the thing and actually doing it. Sometimes just an additional 30 seconds or a minute to go get it and turn it on is enough to allow us to think through, wait a minute, I committed to not using today or using only this amount of time today. So that's that's a really nice example um, of, of a sort of literal or geographical yeah. self-finding how long would you suggest abstaining? You know, at the start before you you yeah. start with the binding. How long would you would you abstain yeah. from? Right. So I base the dopamine fast um, or that initial abstinence trial in order to reset reward pathways on my clinical work as well as some science. 
And I base it on people who are addicted to drugs, same as addicted to gambling, video games, pornography, you know, shopping, social media. And in general, what I find is that 30 days of abstinence is the average amount of time it takes to reset reward pathways. And I always warn my patients, you are going to feel worse before you feel better. So when you first put it away, you're going to go into withdrawal. You are going to be restless, anxious, depressed, ruminating. Why? Because you're going to be in a dopamine deficit state. Your pleasure pain balance is going to tilt to the side of pain, right? Because you've been, your body has had to downregulate dopamine to compensate for too much dopamine from this activity. But if you can just hang in there and go for those 30 days without using, what'll happen is your body will get the signal, oh, okay, I need to start making my own dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine and endocannabinoids, opioids. And by the time people get to 30 days, they are by and large feeling so much better. So what I always say, but this is not a choice between playing video games with all of that entails and being miserable. It's a choice between playing video games, which makes you miserable and feeling a heck of a lot better if you abstain for long enough to reset your brain. And then when people go back into using, they're very clear in their minds, I don't want to be that person. Like now they can look back and say, that was crazy. I can't believe I stayed up three days in a row and spent $10,000, right? That's nuts. Yeah. I don't have that yeah. kind of money. I don't have that kind of time. Time is our most valuable commodity. Yes. So once they can see that clearly, which in my experience only comes with that abstinence, then they're motivated themselves to kind of set those limits because they've seen what it does to their lives. Also, there's, you know, pet imaging studies of the brain showing that two weeks is not enough, that people are still in the dopamine deficit state at two weeks. People will tell me, well, I tried stopping and I didn't feel any better. And I said, well, how long did you stop? They say, oh, two weeks. I was like, yeah, that's not long enough. You really need to get to week three and four for the sun to come out. Yeah. Yeah. About 30 days ago, I quit vaping cold turkey. Wow. I vaped a lot for a long time. But yeah. when I started vaping, I, I vaped more and more and the strength went higher and higher. And what I didn't realize at the time, I quit vaping. The next three days after I quit vaping was intense. Like I was physically sweating. I couldn't sleep. I was doing it way too much and it was very obvious. But what I didn't realize yeah. is the next time that I tried to play foot, I kept reaching for it. Interesting. Because yeah. that's when Those I did it the most. And it really hit me like, holy crap, like you were addicted. Like I didn't even think I was addicted to it uh-huh. until until I tried to quit. Yeah, you know? so that's, exa- like, that's a great point. And, and people often say, well, how, how do you know if you're addicted? I'm like, well, try quitting for a month. Yes. And you'll figure <laughs> it out you. pretty quickly. I I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not addicted to my phone. Really put it away. See if you, you know how you do. I mean, and and the key thing too is what I love what you described here is the automaticity of it, re- that uh, reaching for it, right? And even in your dreams, right? And that happens with gaming too. Like, you know, my patients will tell me like they'll have these intrusive thoughts of the game in the middle of the day. The thoughts about the game will just come in or they'll dream about the game, right? When they're, this is when they're trying to abstain. Yeah. What you realize is that the brain is a muscle. We have mental circuits, which we create based on our interactions with the environment. The more that we do something, the more we oxygenate and make robust those mental circuits. And if we want to stop doing that behavior, we have to deprive those mental circuits of oxygen for long enough 
for that circuit to stop, you know, firing. Right. And we and it takes a certain amount of time to do that. But if we can get if we can get far enough, then it just sort of dies out and we can then start new mental circuits. Yeah. I watched the social dilemma a while back when it came out and you were featured in there and yeah. your children were also featured in there. Did they, if you don't mind sharing, did, yeah. did they or do they play video games? And how did you regulate that as a parent? Because I'm yeah. I'm in the boat and I'm sure there's lots of other listeners that are in that boat where kids are getting to be of the age where they can make their own decisions, play video yeah. games or not. Do you have any advice on, on how to, to regulate that environment? Yeah. So first, what I would say is that kids, just like most people will drink alcohol, who drink alcohol will not get addicted to alcohol. Most people who play video games will not get addicted to video games. Although I will say it is very concerning how many young people, especially young boys and men, are getting addicted to video games. Um, so, you know, uh, one of our four children plays video games and struggles to stop. His video game of choice is Minecraft. He is, uh, he just turned 15. We have been incredibly restrictive from an early age. So our kids had no devices or access to personal devices until they started high school. That is very unusual, even in our high tech community. And we carefully monitor what they do. But I can tell you, honestly, once kids get phones, you know, all bets are off. They've got a portable device. You have no idea what they're doing. And you can try to monitor it, power to you, but it's very difficult to do, which is why my advice is is it's very important that in those first 10 to 15 years of your child's life, you lay a very strong foundation that has them actively engaging in a non-virtual world, connecting with their bodies and connecting with their brains. There will be plenty of time later for them to be tech savvy, to be tech addicted, if they're going to go in that direction. But you will really, really help them if you have laid this foundation where they have friends in real life. They know how to interact with people in real life. They have a, a daily routine of meditation, prayer, exercise. You have strict digital etiquette around when it's appropriate to be on a device, not at the dinner table, and when mm -hmm. it's not. You talk about these online products being potentially addictive. Talk about them as drugs. They were engineered and made to be drugs. We have a drugified uh, kind of experience. So we have to be alert and aware. We have to think about not just how we feel when we're doing the activity, but how we feel as we're trying to stop doing the activity. Right. And we're in that dopamine free fall, right? So you, you cultivate a kind of mindful awareness mm. about the risks as well as validating that it can be really fun, right? Yeah. But like, what what are the costs and benefits? So that's my advice, you know, and, and frankly, when I deal with families, one of the first interventions I have to make is getting the parents off of their devices because, you know, the kids are gonna model what they see parents yeah. do. And if parents come in and they want their kid to be off, but they're constantly on, you know, the excuses often work. Well, I, I'm in high tech, I have to, it's like, well, no, you know, you also need to make boundaries and, and put that thing away, have tech-free vacations and tech-free spaces. I mean, I could go on for hours about this. Sure. But I think you, you get the gist. Yeah. And you say that, uh, you know, kids are going to model what we do. You know, I, there's been times where I'll, I'd sit in here and play for two hours and not even leave the room. And my son will come in and I'll tell him, hey, it's time for bed. Go put the iPad up. He said, well, you've been playing your game for, I'm an adult. 
stem for bit, you know, and that's not an excuse. It, it sticks with me and it, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed. And yeah. And so, you know, I think an honest and open family discussion, you know, like I talk in my book about how, like I stole my kids Easter chocolate and then lied about it. That was a it's, good story, by the way. <laughs> it's really helpful for kids. I think when we transparently admit the ways that we're flawed and vulnerable that we admit our mistakes, that we apologize for our mistakes. Absolutely. And remember, it's never it's never a one-way street, right? If you find that in your family life or as a parent, things are going south in your family, have a family meeting. Sit down, talk about it. Say, hey, I see this happening with me or with you or with the family. I don't think it's good. Here's why I don't think it's good. Let's think about ways we can change it. Also with our kids, if we – like so our youngest, again – um, we, you know, we told him he couldn't have a phone when he started high school because we knew he would be vulnerable to this, you know. And in fact, sure enough, he got his own phone from a friend, didn't tell us, and then ended up failing math the first semester because he was constantly on the phone. We took the phone away, right? We yeah. just, we said, you know, we love you. And so we're going to take the phone away. You clearly cannot handle having a phone and being a student at the same time. And his grades went right back up, right? Yeah. And now we give him the phone like two hours on the weekend so he can get in there and do his Crash Royale. Because he's got all his things he does too. You know, I've got to keep up with this and get that and trade that. It's all the same phenomenon. Yeah. But he has a very restricted time. Even now it's a battle. It's not like it's perfect. I say you can be on for an hour. I go down an hour and 15 minutes later. He's still on. I said, you said you'd get off in an hour. You know, it's ongoing. Yeah. But the key thing is you have to really, we do as parents, we have to establish the boundaries, we have to enforce the boundaries, and we have to talk about why it's worth doing, and we have to disclose our own struggles and what we are doing in our own lives. Like I'll be on, you know, watching YouTube and get sucked, and I'll say, I'll call out, someone help me get off YouTube. I'll say that to my kids. (laughs) Help me turn off YouTube. I can't get out. Come over and help me turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some of these apps are really difficult to get out of. They make it yeah. hard you have to swipe all the way at the certain angle to get out of the app. It's, uh, it's, and it's like you said, it's not by accident. Right. And that's the other piece I really want to emphasize because it came up before, but this, this idea of community. So what's happened now is we've created these really intense communities online and we've ignored and neglected our real life communities. So of course, we don't want to leave the virtual space where we've got this incredibly enthusiastic and large community to go be alone. Nobody would want or could do that. So we have to build communities in real life. If you're somebody living alone, go and find a real life community. You know, find people, get together with people and do things not in the virtual world. This is so important for mental health. Yeah. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole in this one, but since it's we kind of brought it up. Are you familiar with the metaverse and everything that's been going on with virtual reality? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not any kind of expert, but obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention, a lot of attention to that problem. It really is concerning to me the way that it looks like it's heading to where you can basically just have your own virtual life and have <laughs> virtual friends and there's no physical or visual interaction with people you don't get to see or smell or touch and, and experience things it's and i worry that that's the the future that we're heading down and it's it, it scares the crap out of me to be honest well with you. i think i think for good reason you know because i think the online community is inevitably going to be a fair weather community meaning that when we're sick and in trouble 
I mean, how how is our virtual gaming community going to be able to be there for us? You tell me. Maybe I'm too cynical about it, but you, no. you see, you see it on Twitter. Somebody does something wrong, or one of these content creators does something that somebody isn't happy with. Everyone turns on them in a flash. You know, this right. is this is it's not real world, is it? You know, and I, I've got friends that I've met from gaming, Hunter, one or two other friends who are, are good friends. You know, but yeah, and they're people that I can converse with, but right. A lot of these big communities are they're not like I said, they'll turn on each other without a without a second thought. You're not, you know, you might be struggling with some bills. These people are gonna help you out and come and pay your bills or look after no. your sick child or you know, this is and this is what makes us this is what makes us function, you know, family, yeah. friends, community outside and right. it does terrify me that because it is so easy just to get on and shut off and right. have this perfect life online Mm -hmm. um it's so easy for a lot of people a lot of kids are struggling with anxiety especially since covid um Mm -hmm. stress and anxiety and you know not wanting to go outside and and be around people this is the perfect answer for those people so that that is a very interesting point let's talk about that because the narrative that we have around that is that covid came locked us down made us anxious, and so we escaped into this virtual world. But I'm going to challenge that a little bit because I think what was happening is that we were already escaping in this virtual world. COVID accelerated it and gave us an excuse. And the reason that we are scared to go outside and interact is because we're now socially phobic because we haven't been interacting with people. And also the interactions in the virtual world are so much we're rewarding so much easier, so much uh, under my control. I mean, one key piece of addiction is that I get to control what I do and how I feel. And if I don't like this virtual space, I'll just leave it or I'll kill somebody off or I'll die and start over, right? And of course, in the real world, it's not like that. Like you're with somebody who's annoying and you just have to sort of like figure out how to deal with it until you don't have to interact with them anymore. That's real life. And yeah. yet we are totally, we're losing that. I always like to listen for the ways in which these online communities are actually positive and good. Cause I don't want to be one of these people who just comes out like it's all bad, you know, cause clearly, you know, yeah. there, there are going to be some good things. So when you talk about your friend Hunter and you made a good friend, I would wonder, do you and that friend get together in real life? Is that part of the friendship that you met, you became friends online, but it's now beyond that? Because I would think that's important. The other thing, too, is when you think about where we used to find community, like at church or temple or mosque, compare and contrast, which, by the way, is going away. People are leaving religious organizations in droves. We were, you know, that's just been a trend for the last 200 years. But that was a community that if you got into trouble, they would come help you. And yeah, and this community is not that it is just not it's not founded on that, right? It's founded on fun. Yes. And a community founded on fun is in the end of the day, is that really a community? Yeah. And, and, you know, me and her chat all the time, but he's at the other side of the world. But I've met friends, shout out to George, who I've gone to football games with, you know, I've met outside yeah. of yeah. Uh, this and call him, you know, his real friend. Um, but this, 
And you do see that across the community. People do link up, go out together, and you know, yep. and there is small groups of that, and it does sort of bring people together, I suppose, on that common that commonality. Uh, but I want to go back to the thing you said about COVID being the excuse. So many people were absolutely over the moon with lockdown. They could just <laughs> sit. They could just sit at home on uh, the phones on there wherever and just do whatever and you know we're like oh covid covid gave us all this anxiety <laughs> and stress no you gave yourself anxiety and stress because right. you've been sat on your phone for three months right. it's right it's exactly right it's using the covid card to do what they want to do anyway which everybody yeah. i i've done some of that myself trust yeah. me yeah yeah i'm still using it even though we're out the other end pretty much in the uk <laughs> right uh, I'm afraid of COVID when I don't want to do something. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a you know, I can't factor. go to the shop. It's too cold and <laughs> I might get COVID. <laughs> I haven't tried. I'm going to have to try that one. Let's keep that in my back It pocket. works. Yeah. You're, you're a little late now, though. It's now, now you're going to miss that. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get another variant soon. I, mean, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully not. We'll see. I hope those days are gone. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on. Really insightful. And I'm sure our listeners are going to take a lot from this. And do you have anything else you want to share before we go? Yeah, I just want to express my gratitude too. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, You know, your audience is a group I was really hoping to reach with the book. And I wasn't sure I ever would because, you know, there are a lot of audiences that are not reading. They're spending their time doing other things. So I'm really grateful to learn from you and to have the opportunity to reach your audience. And I hope some of these messages will, you know, make some kind of sense to your listeners. I guess I would leave you with the idea that if, if, if your listeners, if you're unhappy in your life and you are playing this game as a way to escape your unhappiness, you might consider the very real possibility that the game itself is making you unhappy, even though it's really hard to see that in the moment. And that if you take a period of time away from the game, you might actually feel better. Do the experiment. Life is one big grand experiment. 30 days is not very long in the big scheme of your life. Do it with a friend. It's always easier to do this with a friend. Take 30 days away and see what happens to your brain. Yep. Everybody stop looking at your phones at 6 p.m. UK for content daily. (laughs) Start there. Well, baby steps. That's what I would also want to add on to that. So, If there is anybody out there and they they are struggling and they think, you know, this game's really, really getting to them, come into our Discord. My DMs are open come come speak to somebody and talk about it let's you know let's let's start a dialogue about this because yeah, there's so it. many people out there that that are struggling with this and it's an yeah. embarrassing thing to come out as a grown man it and is. say i'm addicted to video games yeah. i'm not a 12 year old boy but yeah. grown men are addicted right. we have the same dopamine going through our brains oh yeah we, you know it so let's let's start a discussion if people are struggling come chat to us my dms are open on twitter in the discord Come oh, and speak thank you. to us. Let's, That's um, so great. Let's yeah. get this. Let's get this moving. Yeah, and because I will we say, can't enjoy it, this game. We yeah. can enjoy this game. Yeah, you can. But not yeah. until right. we set free from it. That's yes. right. That's right. 
And in my book, I do talk about how I got addicted to romance novels. And that's not actually a joke. I actually did get addicted to romance novels. And it was embarrassing for me to admit it. But I did it because I wanted people to know that, you know, you can be highly educated and really smart and have a great life and still get addicted to something. So everybody's human, you know, that's right. And we all have that same wiring. It's true. Whether it's chocolate, right, romance novels, crack cocaine. (laughs) Whatever it is, it's or doing FIFA. the same thing. You know. <laughs> oh, FIFA. Yep. Yes, right. exactly that. Yep, All that's right. good shout, Paul. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this week's bonus episode of Footballers. And if you would like to pick up a copy of Dr. Linke's book, Dopamine Nation, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. We'll catch you next week. Podcast Network.